G'day, humans. We've got a delightful, uncomfortable conversation for you today. Not so much a big, huge, in-depth, uncomfortable conversation about big, controversial issues with a world-leading intellect. No, today we plonk our delicate buttocks down on the comfy couch and speak with one of the world's greatest stand-up comics, writers, producers, actors, comedic thinkers, Eddie Izzard, uh, shook up the British stand-up scene in the late 1980s and went on to become a powerhouse of of global stand-up shows playing Madison Square Garden in New York and everywhere in between. Uh, Eddie has uh, won two Emmy Awards, uh, been nominated for a Tony, and has this weird and eclectic life, not just in terms of her gender, and I'm saying her because it seems that now there have been some reports about um, her apparently telling some journalists that she would prefer to go by her, even though you would probably know Eddie as a he because he has been presenting as a man all his life, but also cross-dressing. It's terribly complicated, but fortunately Eddie doesn't think that that is particularly interesting, as you'll hear in this interview. Anyway, Eddie has written and uh, is a co-producer on and the star of a new movie, it's coming out, a big British blockbuster. If you don't know Eddie, you should certainly check out her uh, her stand-up. You may know her also from on the telly, uh, starred in 20 episodes of a show called The Riches, uh, was in the United States of Tara, was in Hannibal. I mean, I'm looking at all these. There's not even any point in reading it out. Uh, in film, The Avengers, Oceans 12 and 13, Across the Universe, Valkyrie. Eddie's one of those people who, if you don't know Eddie Izzard, you should get to know Eddie Izzard because there's no amount of biographical information that I can give you that will quite impart the uh, the wow the wow factor. Quite apart from anything else, Eddie has run thirty one marathons and performed thirty one stand up gigs in thirty one days this year. This year, at the age of almost sixty, uh, she ran. Seven weeks of back-to-back marathons across the UK 12 years ago, and this has now become sort of her thing. Five years ago, she ran 27 marathons in 27 days. She's very politically active and very kind of philosophical and an enormous out, has an enormous output of energy, um, both creatively and intellectually. So it was lovely just to grab... 20 minutes while she was on a a media tour promoting this new movie to ask her about anything and everything that I thought was interesting. I hope you enjoy this conversation with me and Eddie Izzard. There we are. (laughs) I'm a tiny little speck. Hello, Eddie. Hi there, how are you doing? <laughs> you look like controlling a spaceship. I, I feel like I'm controlling a spaceship because it's the it's night and it's dark outside. It's all oh, yeah. What time is it? It's eight thirty seven PM. Oh wow. Um I'm a big I'm a big fan, Eddie, and I have read your, your memoir and seen you perform. And I actually want to start by, by asking you about your marathons because I think it's Oh yeah incredible <laughs> and i'd love to know where the idea came from can you tell people what what you actually achieved well um in january of this year i ran 31 marathons in 31 days so each day i did a marathon i did a stand-up gig at the end of the marathon and on the last day i threw in an extra marathon as well so i did 32 <laughs> and i talked to people 
for six hours a day uh, on, on podcasts because we it was in a lockdown situation in London and I was on a treadmill and I was going to go out of my mind if I was just going to look at the wall. So I, I said, just line up people. I'll talk to them on Zoom. And so I talked to everyone in the world. It's well, a whole bunch of people, and including George Clooney at the end for the last half hour. We <laughs> counted down the last 10 seconds as we uh, got to to finish it on. I did it all, all, all 32 marathons. So kind of crazy, raising money. Make Humanity Great Again is the uh, is the fund that I, that I work for. I don't know where I got this slogan from, Make Humanity Great Again. It came to me one day. Someone else had a, uh, a slogan a bit like it, but they... Well, I think it was Mussolini away. originally, wasn't it? I'm not sure that we can even credit <laughs> Trump with the originality on that front. Um, really? Was it Mussolini? Mussolini? It was either the Fuhrer or Mussolini or some such. Yes, yeah, it, wasn't, it wasn't an original Trumpism. Well, but Make Humanity Great Again is inclusive, and all of America is included in that. So everyone, you know, and it's raising money for charity, and it was good. I mean, raised a third of a million pounds, which is about half a million U.S., Dollars. Fantastic. So, which both of which yeah. mean nothing to Australians, of course. But we can do the me- the mental uh, the mental mathematics. Which is which is the easiest one for Australians to translate from? from oh, pounds everyone probably US. understands pounds and US. It's fine. You raised a lot of money. Well, yeah, I know. I would like to do it. Well, if you tell me what it actually, I'm going to tell you what it is. Right. Okay. Now. Do the calculation. Put in. I've got, I've got a machine. I can do it quick. So okay. they keep asking me questions. Yeah, well, well, this is only the last stage in your long marathon career. I mean, this comes this comes on the back of having done successive marathons. Was it in South Africa, and then you did. I mean, what was the what was the longest stretch of you doing marathons back to back? Um, I did forty three and fifty one days the first time. Um, I just okay, Australian dollars. I got it. It's about six hundred thousand uh, Australian dollars. There you go. It's about money. Third, so there you go. Uh, so yeah, I ran thirty. I did forty-three marathons in fifty-one days. That was two thousand and nine. But I took a day off a week, which I suddenly decided no, you shouldn't take a day off. I don't know quite why. It didn't seem to, that day off wasn't really much of a day off. To be honest, <laughs> you know, you 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 lie. You were lying in bed and going, I got to do something, and um, so it was a bit weird. And apparently, the the Tour de France people, when they have a day off. They all go for a ride. They all go for a bike ride. Otherwise, it's too bonkers. Oh, they isn't just that keep funny? Going. Isn't that almost yeah. sad, like a gerbil in a cage? Um, no, I, I think we need to have a better analogy. It's more like they are athletes that need to exercise their their loins. Right. They are them. the lion who must who must remain on the prairie on the hunt. Yes, they do it just a, a leisurely kind of thing. But anyway, and what um, and and what psychologically? Just before we leave uh, marathons, what is going through your head on day forty-seven while you've been pounding the ground day after day? Um, well, on that one, day forty-seven, I was always towards the end. It's see, the first ten are hellish. If you if you ever do multiple marathons, your first ten are pretty hellish. Don't worry, I won't. Then it, it gets it get somewhat easier. Someone listening in Australia might might go for this. Um, and then it gets easier, um, and then but not that much easier. It doesn't get like like easy peasy lemon squeezy, but it just gets a bit more grabbable. The brain links up with the body, and then you become a bit of a machine. So on the last day, the double marathon that I did on the on the thirty on the thirty first day wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, uh, and when I did it in South Africa, it was really tough. So. So you just you just try and keep your mind open. And when I was doing the 
the one just recently I was on treadmills. I was talking to people. I was trying to keep nothing in my head. Like, yeah, I didn't want to think about, oh, legs ache. This is going on. I wish this would stop. You just don't want to think about that. I want to talk to people and say, oh, yeah, so what did you do then? And then, oh, oh, I didn't. I've never tried that. So you want to get your mind off the pain. Right. Is, is that trick. a fact, Mr. Clooney? I didn't know that, Mr. Clooney. Uh, yeah, well, he was talking. I don't know if you saw that bit, but it's it's out there. He, uh, he was talking about, I got him talking about his aunt, Rosemary Clooney. And he used to drive her. It's an amazing thing. He, as a kid, an 18-year-old kid, before he got any known, he was driving her around. And she was with a lot of other uh, old, uh, older dames, as he was calling them, who, uh, who were going around doing, you know, Lake Tahoe and, and Vegas and, and doing the, the, the singers from the 50s. Um, great stories um, he had, which, which, which I didn't, you know, he just totally opened up on that stuff. See, and you wouldn't have gotten that if you weren't running a marathon on a treadmill talking to George Clooney. Exactly. And, and are there, is there an endorphin rush? Are you experiencing pleasure at the same time as... Because I, I'm asking because I have never derived any pleasure from physical activity whatsoever, so there's clearly something else going um, on. And dolphins. I call them in dolphins, but I think it's more fun for kids <laughs> to think that dolphins are coming through. Um, uh, is there an endorphin rush? No, it, it's good when you finish. There's, I get a bit of a rush when you, when you stop, <laughs> where you go, oh, that was good. I did that. Oh, that's nice. Um, when you're doing it, it's a bit of a grind. Um, uh, it, it tends when if, if I'm if I'm running and training if I have to do a certain time that that's that's tougher because in, in my early days of running marathons I just used to run and I would take as long as I wanted to take and and I was going through the the running around the UK the first one I did so it's kind of a wonderful way to take in the country and go oh look at this oh look at that ah this vista the, the, these trees the, the you know the the hills and the valleys that was all great um, but on a treadmill it's not much fun no. And it doesn't bother you while you're going through the glens and the valleys that you've got your hair stuck to your forehead with sweat and your face is red no. and your heart's pounding, you can taste blood and all that? No, taste blood. I, I taste blood when I exercise, but perhaps I ought to exercise some, a little bit more. Are you eating raw animals? <laughs> it's the lion no. on the prairie again. Yes. No, I, you, you get you get used to it and you become, you become this sort of machine that can, can do it. And I... I felt like when I was running around the UK particularly, well, actually in the South Africa as well, when I was running across the the, the dusty lands of South Africa, it, it became more grabbable. It just became like, you know, you were at one with nature. Because if you think about it, that's what we came from. We, you know, we were hunter-gatherers. That's what we did in the old days. We lived on those lands. And I, I became much more closely in contact with that, which I found kind of fascinating, that confidence that you get. Six minutes to midnight. Let's talk a bit about about uh, this uh, yes. picture. This is a true story or ish. It is based on on true events. So um, basically, it's eve of World War Two. Obviously, World War Two is a true thing. Um, and <laughs> in a town called Bexhill on Sea, a true town where I grew up in half my life, and my grandma was born and great grandma, and um, it had twenty six schools in this town. Now, for Australians. Uh, a, a British seaside town, I suppose everyone could grab hold of that idea uh, that it used to be a big thing before Second World War, but everyone going down and take the waters and that kind of thing, particularly in the late 1800s, early 1900s. But then in a post-World War II, it just became a retirement town, you know, down to the south coast of England. But before the war, um, it was linked with a lot of money and uh, the, the Delaware family who'd started the state of Delaware, they were involved in it and, and the aristocracy would come down and monitor he would come down and stay in Bexelonsi. Um, and they had 26 schools, which is just an unusual number of schools. 
One of these was the Augusta, Augusta Victoria College for Girls, and it had German girls there who were coming over to learn English and make friends. And because it was the 30s, they, they were the daughters and the goddaughters of the Nazi high command. Himmler's goddaughter was at this school. Von Ribbentrop, who was the German ambassador to Britain, his daughter was at the school. And they were making friends, listening to Hitler's speeches um, on the radio, saluting the, the radio. We know that they were kind of, you know, positive towards Hitler, National Socialism, making friends um, and learning English, going up to, to the, the German ambassador, uh, embassy in London and hanging out there at the time with the coronation of George VI. So I thought, let's, because their blazer badge had the British flag on and the Nazi flag, and I saw this blazer badge, that's where it all started from, this blazer badge. I just thought, there's a story surely on that. And we built this thriller on top of it, a 39 steps Hitchcockian kind of thriller, uh, um, with, with characters that we made up, some who did exist and some who didn't exist. And we've mixed that together into Six Minutes to Midnight and it's coming out now and after finished it in the summer of 2018. And you only managed to get Judy Dench in it, so you couldn't convince anybody decent. Judy Dench playing the woman who's very beguiled by the National Socialists, running the school for the girls, and Jim Broadbent, both of them Oscar winners, and Jim Broadbent's playing Charlie, the bus driver, and my granddad was Charles Izzard, the bus driver. So How wonderful. Nice uh, are, you, are you a bit bored of talking about gender fluidity, Eddie? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you asked me the question. So, yeah, you know, well, I am gender fluid. I've been out since uh, 1985. There we go, 36 years now. And suddenly people are talking about it as if, as if I've just come out yesterday. No, 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 no I, I, you don't have to you don't have to feel the need to repeat, uh, you know, well-worn territory uh, here. But the uh, the change in, in uh, pronouns from from he to they to she, I thought was interesting. And I was just wondering whether or not for someone as self-expressed as as you, that's a change in your conception of yourself or whether that's a just a change in how you present. I didn't use there isn't a they in my thing. I'm not using uh, those. Uh, no, it's just I'm I'm gender fluid, you know. I'm I'm playing a male role in this uh, girl role. Um, you know, I'm, I have it boy mode and girl mode. I call it because I see transgender as being a superhero thing. I'm, I've decided to positivize it because you know it was so toxic when I came out back in 1985. If anyone can remember back to two generations ago, and uh, so I've been out for a long, 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 long time. I was on a t television program last year, and they said, um, "Oh, you're wearing a dress and you're." Uh, as you usually do, as you have done for many decades. Um, which pronouns would you like? They asked me. So I said, oh, well, she and her would be nice. So they said, right, I just see. like a cup of tea. Cup I of see. Tea. So said she and her. That went viral around the world. And in a day, all my pronouns changed. So, okay, if that's, uh, I'm cool with that. Um, and I'm sort of more based that way. But, um, you know, I am gender fluid and it's, it's just me, but I'm, I've told everyone to relax on it. I don't mind. He, uh, him, she, her, uh, or just call me Eddie if you've got a problem with that, or mate, or mush. <laughs> What's mush? We shouldn't, mush. You don't have mush in Australia? I don't have Australia. mush. Do we have mush in Australia? I've not, had, I've not heard mush. Mush, right. All right, mush. How you doing, mush? Um, it's uh, kind of a, you know, pre-war 50s, 60s. I mean, it sounds thing. like the sort of thing that should be Australian because we like to yeah, abbreviate everything and we like to th have words. It's, it sounds very Aussie, mush or mushy. It'd probably be mushy down here. And none of ours would touch. Yeah, I like mush. It's like mate. You've got mate. Yeah, we've got right, mate. Of course, mate. Yeah. So yeah. mate, 
and that, which is a bizarre thing because mate, you know, one's mate is one you mate for life. You know, it's a, well, yes. It's a Have life. you ever run into this problem in the states? I mean, when I I lived in New York for for ten years, and whenever I would talk about catching up with my mates, they assumed I was talking about people who I was procreating with. Did they actually say that, or did they? Yeah, just no, stare no, at you? no. They would stare at me, and then I would say, "Do you know what yeah. what I'm talking about?" And that, I'd yeah. say, it means dude or something. If you unpack the word, it all gets crazy. It was the yeah. same with unpacking, because everyone goes about pronouns, but I'm into adverbs. What about adverbs? What are my adverbs? My quickly. I think that's that's one of my <laughs> quickly. He ran quickly. There yeah, you that's go. good. Delightedly. So, yeah, I think yes. Uh, that'd be an adjective, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, it would be yes. I never did grammar at school, but I quite—I think we should more concentrate on our adverbs. Can I? Can um, I? I, I sometimes yeah. like to do some uh, some some quick first date questions with uh, with guests. They're just sort of random questions, yeah. uh, sort of raw shark, uh, just very quick off the top of your head. Um, best uh, ice cream flavor? Uh, oh, the ninety-nine, which is vanilla. Excellent. Uh, the best UK prime minister who's not Churchill? Um, well, Attlee then. What's the one thing that very rich people have in common that is good? Rich people that have that's good. Yeah. Well, I would say I went to boarding schools, which are rich things, because after mum died, that's what happened. And because we had boys coming from every country in the world, racism was not endemic there, which is a wonderful thing. Among the rich? Well, it's among those schools which are private schools, therefore they're funded, therefore richer people. So they're coming in, and you're coming from Hong Kong, and you're coming from Nigeria. But they all had money, you see, so you couldn't... It was just... That was Kevin Cissé and and Freddie and Stevie and Freddie Dubuin and blah, blah, blah. And he's from... Everyone's from everywhere. We had no sense... Of of hating someone for being somewhere else because we were all displaced into this school, right? And so, and you're all wealthy enough is, to be able to shit on the poor. Really, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Well, no, you wouldn't you wouldn't put it that way because we were just kids. We didn't have any wealth, of course. The parents had that. And the parents had chosen that. The kids, you can't blame the kids for what school they're. Of course, and we were just there, but you couldn't say, Freddie Debreen, you're from France, and therefore I've got to, you know, I'm going to. Talk about wars of Napoleon. You know, this wasn't coming into your head. You weren't having any stuff in your brain. No, but I suppose in my I suppose in my brain, very rich people are cartoon monopoly men who wear top hats and have monocles and go around being very disdainful of people who aren't white, but uh, and yeah. don't send their kids to such a school. Yes, well, I can't think of any positive things apart from that. This is the one positive I pulled out of the rich. All right. Um, if I give you a time machine to go anywhere in the past and you can live uh, for an entire year there and you've got modern vaccinations and you've got enough gold that you're not going to die of starvation, um, but you have to spend a whole year at some point in the past in your time machine, when do you go to? I go to the, uh, the Vicksburg campaign in the American Civil War. There you go. That nonplussed you, didn't it? That's good, but I it's, don't even know what the campaign is. It was uh, the, the siege of Vicksburg, or the te- the taking of Vicksburg was on the Mississippi, and it was Gen- General Ulysses S. Grant, and uh, he he was determined and would never give up, and he just fought on, and he tried about nine, I don't know, nineteen different ways to to take that city from the Confederates, and so that the uh, Eventually, they could win. They, they think it was more important than Gettysburg. He he broke the siege the day after Gettysburg was that battle was won. It's kind of a draw, Gettysburg, but it was seen as a 
as a victory for the for the North, but uh, of the Union. But uh, he his his uh, his he won the siege the day after. But that was he's kind of amazing. So I'd go there to watch that whole campaign. Are you an American history buff? I'm I'm a history buff and uh, and a military history buff. Yeah, so mm. I'm semi encyclopedic on World War Two and the the uh, American Civil War, both of which were kind of good bad wars. A lot of wars are just messy, one side against the other. You can't put the good, but you know, obviously the Allied side is a better side. And I got wonderful German friends and whatever. But Hitler kidnapped the country, and you know, that's you know, extreme mm. right wrong. And then the Confederate side, however, which way they want to cut it, they were fighting to uh, to keep slavery, and that is the wrong side to be on. Yes, and, and the so, clarity of that moral choice is why everybody who wants to start a war always invokes World War Two. You know what I mean? Like George W. Bush going into Iraq will always say, "We don't want to be Neville Chamberlain; we want to be Churchill," because uh, right. it's the easy one. You know, you can always you can always call back to World War Two and go, "Well, you wouldn't want to be the bad yeah. guys on that in that war." No, absolutely no. I didn't know he did invoke Chamberlain or not invoke Chamberlain, invoke Churchill and not Chamberlain going in. But uh, yes, yes, yeah. you know, uh, Chamberlain was in Churchill's uh, cabinet after Churchill became prime minister. Did you know that? No, it's was he a minister? Yeah, he was um, he was very central. Him and Halifax, basically Halifax was the foreign secretary in the chamber, and so those two were dead against him being there. But once Churchill had become the prime minister, he kept them both in the cabinet. And Keep that, your enemies what, close. Yeah, they get well. Ooh. Gary Oldman, Gary Oldman film. Some bits of the Gary Oldman are not true. Um, but but that is absolutely true. He had to keep them on side, otherwise he'd lose the whole of the Conservative Party. The whole of the Conservative Party really just didn't like him. That's why he'd been kept out of politics for 10 years or kept on the back bench. Amazing. Interesting. Um, last uh, last question. I noticed that uh, that you it will be your sixtieth next year. I don't mean to sort of out your age, but I was uh, I was I was surprised. Are you turning sixty next year? I wasn't surprised. I knew because <laughs> of I had all the dates up because of but chronology. Yeah, but you see, sixty is the new twenty, right? Um, so, of course, you know, and if you've just run thirty-two marathons in thirty-one days, you're not really worried about sixty. No, I'm kind of, I'm as modern as I can be as a trans person who's running multiple marathons <laughs> and performing uh, in French, German, and Spanish, and making my films now. I don't think uh, I'm not slouching. I'm no, just, you're I'm going... not. Do you fear aging? Do you fear death? No, uh, I think, you know, I, I'm sure when it comes, it's, it's interesting. I, it doesn't seem to be, it, it, I know that Churchill wanted to go in battle. In fact, after, after D-Day, he, he actually got himself onto the continent to try and see if he could get actually sort of slightly blown up. Yeah, I think that was in his head because going in battle, you know, basically it's good if you can just go out, boom. But a long, lingering, slow thing doesn't seem very good at all. Yes. Way to go. Live but, long um, and live long but, and drop dead. Yeah, and I'm. But my thing is, I'm just going to keep pushing to the end. So that's that's what I'm going to do. So I'm never and always keep doing new things because I think you know dementia and everything sets in when you you stop using the mind. So I'm going to keep doing more languages. I've got uh, Spanish to get right up to speed in my stand up, and then Arabic, and then Russian, and Mandarin Chinese as well. Um, so if you're doing that, hopefully you're pushing, pushing, keep doing marathons, uh, keep doing politics, keep making films, and uh, that'll keep me active. You're, all, you're exhausting me just telling me about everything you're doing, Eddie. It's great to talk to you, and thanks for giving us your time. 
Not at all. Good to talk to you.